The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. If you have a Bible, we're in the Gospel of Luke. If you do not, we have the Bible verses up front when we work through these things. Um, certainly, we have, I think we have Bibles up front, but um, we are in the Gospel of Luke. We're kind of um, right in the middle of it, so we're right in chapter 12. What I'm going to do for us is I'm going to uh, read our verses, and then we will kind of we'll start looking at these together. Luke chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 to 12. So this is just after, um, in the story of Jesus, this is just after he has um, had some pretty fire exchanges with Pharisees. Um, about you know attributing his miracles to demons and their hypocrisy of uh, uh, how they understand their righteousness and all that stuff. And so here we have Jesus um, in chapter 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed in the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after, they have not, um, after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is... Uh, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. You are not, uh, are you not, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than, the spirit, than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. And the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Father, as we consider your word... We ask that uh, your spirit would be with us, help us to see and understand, help us to avoid the leaven, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, that we might live in the life of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. I have shared this data before, um, but I want to put up uh, this data on the screen. This is uh, some recent polling in the last few years. It, basically kind of asks uh, three different categories of people, kind of broadly speaking. Um, how do Christians view themselves? How do other religious, non-Christian people view themselves? And then how do non-religious people view Christians? So it's how do Christians understand themselves? How do non-Christian religious people understand Christians? It's interesting that Christians are very affirming of themselves. Um, and then over here, other religions, so you might think of our Islamic neighbors or our Jewish neighbors, um, 
I'm not exactly sure who is that. Those are the two main categories, maybe Buddhists and I guess uh, progressively more maybe Wiccan categories, religious people. I'm not sure if Wiccans would be considered religious or not. You can answer that later. But <laughs> other religious non-Christian people, judgmental, see Christians as being judgmental and hypocritical. And then non-religious people view Christians as being hypocritical and judgmental at a higher rate of 50%. I just find this data interesting. Um, it's interesting because it relates to our passage. Jesus says, the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. It's one of these few moments where Jesus doesn't leave anything to kind of interpretive guessing. He just gives us straight out. Here's the category that I'm going to be addressing. I want you to understand what hypocrisy looks like. And I want it to not be something that defines you. There's something unique about religious hypocrisy that is, um, I'm not sure what it, I, there's a part of it where uh, hypocrisy in the workplace is kind of like, I don't know, everybody's still getting paid, right? I guess something about religious hypocrisy because you're supposed to be a part of a, a moral kind of direction. The hypocrisy hits different. I don't know if that's true for you, but it feels for me that religious hypocrisy, which is why this sort of chart this sort of data points gets our attention. And I think that when we engage with this category of religious hypocrisy, it can feel like maybe we're experiencing it for the first time. But Jesus is going after religious hypocrisy 2,000 years ago. Right? He saw this as a major issue that was developing, not only within the Jewish community at the time, but as something that Christians, his disciples, would have to wrestle with forever, which is why it's recorded here in Scripture. So Jesus interacts with this category of religious pockets. We can take the data now down now. Jesus interacts with this in this moment in his ministry where there are more people gathering around him. So you see this in verse 1, right? In the meantime, there were many thousands of people who had gathered together and they were trampling one another, right? Imagine like a, you know, like a festival, like a music festival or something like that. Thousands of people, like people getting shuffled around and getting, you know, trampled over. He's just come out of this dinner meeting with all these Pharisees, and he's talking to his disciples in this context of this group. People are gathering around him, and he says, beware of something about these Pharisees. And he uses this image of leaven, right? Leaven, um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with kind of the baking process or, um, I mean, I realize we're in a recovery center, but the brewing process of how you make alcohol. Leaven or yeast is what he's talking about there. Yeast is just very tiny little microbes that get put into bread and then or beer or other elements, and they eat off the sugars and convert it into something bigger and different. Right? That's kind of the image that he's saying. There's this element that's secret, small, almost imperceptible. It starts out and it develops over time. And Jesus is saying, there's something about the Pharisees and their way of thinking that is subtle, that is almost kind of hidden in a certain sense, that, that, that gets a free pass in a religious community, that that's very dangerous. That's what he's drawing our attention to. So what I want to start out with, before we get into our, like our main point, just kind of breaking down the passage, what I want to start out with is building this picture of the Pharisees, because I think we view the Pharisees as people who are just like these ultimate rule followers, like the ultimate, like type A, firstborn, they just love to obey, you know, like that sort of, 
Like they just are like the ultimate, you know, Boy Scouts. They're just the people that you think of as like, man, whatever. You know, like those type of guys are just like ultimate like rule follower types. We we think of them like that. And I think there's more of the picture. I think we need to build some sympathy for them. So here's kind of a picture of what's going on for the Pharisees. Old Testament ends with God's people having been kicked out of the promised land, and they are wrestling with this existential, this deep internal question. How do we, as God's people, preserve our identity as God's people when we have none of the authority, none of the structures, none of the systems to show that we are God's people, right? Think of their church buildings, their government, like the Bible, it has instructions for how to run a government. And it has instructions for how to run a church, effectively, synagogue. And they're like, what do we do when we don't have either of those things? Not only that, but we are under the boot of, at this time, the Roman Empire, who are clearly trying to just almost assimilate us into their culture. There's an aggressive element of, we want to try to suppress, get rid of these kind of the fringes of Jewish identity and just kind of make you Roman Jews. Emphasis on Roman. So the Pharisees are this movement of people, it's kind of a populist movement, that develops and says, rather than locating our identity of what it means to be God's people, rather than locating it right now in the government, we're going to locate it in the home. We're going to make, we're going to interpret all these laws. They would have had about, you know, 600 or so extra laws they would have added to the Old Testament to reinterpret or to, to add interpretation to the Old Testament to drive it into your personal life. So they would have been speaking to food, marriage, sex, that stuff, home things. That's where they would have driven their interpretation of the Old Testament. So that that's why you, you see Jesus interacting with a lot of that stuff, right? You think of a woman caught in adultery. That's that's not something that there's there's law general laws about adultery, but they have a selective interpretation that led to their interaction with Jesus about that. You know, you see them getting really upset about food and washing your hands or not washing your hands. So that was something that Jesus was interacting with them. That's where that all comes from because they're trying to say, how do we maintain and show that we are not letting those Gentiles tell us what it's like to be God's people? We will define for ourselves develops within that is this defensive us versus them posture. Those Gentiles, those non-ethnic Jews, they are the enemy. They will make us like them and forget what it means to be God's people if we let them. So right now, let's preserve our identity in the home, preserve our identity and what it means to dress and look and be God's people. And then when the right time comes, They'll get their comeuppance. We'll kick them out. We'll give them what they give us. We'll take back the government. Now, that's what that context was like. If that feels familiar, we'll get to that in a minute. That's the context of the Pharisees. Right? They had effectively taken God's law and God's word to be a light to the nations and turned it into be a spotlight for why the nations don't believe. They had taken all God's laws, been good boys and girls, 
in an attempt to be God's people, had forgotten God's heart along the way. I'm not sure if that's, that picture makes you sympathetic for the Pharisees. I think we have to remember that they were in an oppressed environment, and so you're trying to preserve what it means to be something really important to you in a context that's trying to push it out of you. But that's what's going on for the Pharisees as a whole. And when Jesus looks at that mentality, he sees it start as leaven. I don't know, have, have any of you done baking, like, bre- like actual baking with bread or like actual homebrewing type stuff? Again, I realize it's a homebrewing thing in a recovery context. I'm just alluding to it. All it takes is just a, a very extra pinch of yeast to turn what would be flat dough pizza into a gigantic one. His image for that way of becoming hypocritical starts with this super small element. So, I think if we were to kind of take all of that and look at this passage, how do we then learn from this passage? What is Jesus getting at? I think what develops in these kind of three paragraphs we're going to look at is the development of leaven and how it goes from something secret to more to a bigger moments to, ult- to the ultimate moment with the Lord. There's a development in these images that I think we'll see as we move on that kind of follow the development of leaven in the life of a Christian or a life of a disciple that leads ultimately to the leaven of the Pharisees and what that means at the end. So, the invitation of this passage, I think, is something along these lines. Growing in the life of Christ requires self-awareness. I think it's very simple. These images of what we're going to see, these invitations for understanding the leaven, they are invitations for understanding what it means to be self-aware. Right? These are not all the categories of self-awareness, but as it relates to religious hypocrisy, these are, for Jesus, key elements of avoiding the religious hypocrisy and living in his life, living in the life of what it means to follow Jesus. I want to say this before we get it going on this. The point of these illustrations is not to draw us into neurotic introspection of like every weighing, is every word of mine, am I arrogant, proud, that sort of stuff. It's categories. And there is just as with the the leaven of the Pharisees, growth and development over time that leads to death. With Jesus, these kind of categories, I think, help us grow in the life of Christ and the self-awareness of these movements of the heart and how we obey and enjoy and live in the fullness of who God is for us. So, with that being said, we're going to look at verses 1 to 3. One of the key elements I think that Jesus draws us into is learning our temptations to hide from Christ. See, let me read verse 1 to 3. In the meantime, there were so many thousands of people who had gathered together that they were trampling one another. He began to say to his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And he goes on, this is the first kind of main illustration. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed. Nothing is hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark, shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms 
shall be proclaimed in the housetop. So within this image, there's Jesus using kind of these four pictures, these word illustrations to capture like there's something hidden that happens as a key element of the hidden ways in which the leaven of the Pharisees, that which leads to religious hypocrisy, starts in our own hearts. And I think that just within this category of Jesus is is putting his finger on those things that you reinterpret around the world around you to make yourself, you know, understanding yourself as misunderstood, uh, grudges, ways in which you are in the right and all the world is standing against you. You are the misunderstood prophet. I think within this pharisaical understanding, right, that we have to keep that kind of category in mind. It's the beginnings of these, all of these other people don't understand God's way, but I do. I understand God's way. I understand the pure way. I understand the perfect way to follow God. And these, they're others that are outside the grace of God, that are outside the inner fold. I'm trying to capture this image of being like on the inside, this kind of secret club on the inside, so to speak, this inner circle, this almost this echo chamber of affirmation of like, aren't we, we're so, we're so right. And all these people are so wrong. There's, there's some sort of, you can almost kind of imagine like, I don't see this happening with our small groups, but a small group where you kind of start to feel like we understand things better. We, we've understood God differently and more clearly. And all these, they're othered. They're, they're not people that understand God's ways. There are people that are outside the fold. Right, these hidden conversations or movements of the heart that definitively place people on the outside categories, people who are unworthy, less than, stupid, don't understand God's word, that type of stuff. This, I find this, it's fascinating to me. Um, I feel pretty appreciate it. I do not really talk politics from the pulpit. But I'll drop into one little category and hopefully kind of land on a uh, balanced perspective. You can tell me. I find it very hard to understand kind of this ultra-right, conservative victim. We are the we are the oppressed of the of the liberal elite's culture, and all of these people are out to get us, and we have to stand up for God's way in the country. That sort of mentality, this ultra-right perspective. At the same time, I find when I try to look to moderates to understand how to think about the world around me, they have a lot of demeaning things to say about those people, those people, and it just seems to me like they need to have less podcasts and more therapy. Like, I just, you guys need to kind of work through those issues, not in a podcast format. Everybody's got their podcast where they, they bent and other, what I'm saying is conservatives can do this. The liberals can do this. And it's this movement that says God's kingdom is for people not like you. And that sort of mentality are ways that happen in the hidden parts of our heart, ultimately ways in which we, we hide the temptations where we don't want to be with Jesus or we hide from Christ. That's why I'm just kind of framing this as hiding from Christ in the sense of the Gospel of Luke has it been at pains 
all through the development of the book to say it is the outcast, the oppressed, the people who do not have power, who do not have prestige, the people who do not have the right letters behind their last name, the people who do not have the right criminal record or no criminal record, the people who do not have any of these things. Those are the people that the kingdom of God enfolds. And the people who do have all those things, the Pharisees with the right doctors in front of their names or the, the, the letters behind their name, the people who have the right credentials, it's also for those people too. The kingdom of God's circle is so broad that nobody's left out of its embrace. And the moment we start to other people, say, bless them, we are hiding from the heart of Christ because his heart is for all of these people. And we find very religious, sophisticated ways to say, Hi, Jesus, yes, but. And Jesus saying, that starts hidden. That starts in these affirmation echo chambers. Are you going to receive my invitation to pray truly? He just taught us in chapter 11. God, our Father, your kingdom. Not my kingdom, my, not my edition of God's kingdom, not my little King's Cross version of God's kingdom. God's kingdom, your kingdom. I want that. And that embraces a broader set of people than we often affirm in our own hearts. Second thing that Jesus goes after. So those are, that's the first category of self-awareness. Second category of self-awareness that Jesus invites us to. Learning to revere God above others in our hearts. None of these categories I think are going to be like revolutionary. Verses 4 to 7. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, for you are of more value than many sparrows. In the development of this, these sort of leaven categories, and the way the leaven of the Pharisees develops, this seems to go from kind of these private, hidden conversations, whatever those are, our hearts or small group contexts or whatever they are, and now you're kind of dealing with kind of more broadly public categories, right? Right. It's, it's kind of the public life of people who can do things, who are intimidating, who have authority and power, and you can feel like scared by it, right? Jesus invites us that in midst of, for them, would have been persecution, I think more broadly for us. In these handful of moments that happen in our life where we have to stand for Jesus, the reverence that we hold for God above others and their opinion about us begins in the quiet moments of our lives and is realized in these kind of major public moments. I, I would guess most of us don't have kind of like big standoffs for Jesus every week of our lives. That's 52 in a year, that's a lot. You know, where you're like having to, you know, your life, there's something about your life that becomes uncomfortable because you're, I'm going to follow Jesus. I imagine that truly happens a dozen times at most, a handful of times. You know, mo ma major moments where like some major life decisions happen. I think that's what Jesus is aiming at. And Jesus is saying, look, those people that you're scared of, like, 
they can't do anything after you die. So why bother being scared of people? Um, is anybody familiar with the comedian Pete Holmes? Does that ring any bells for anybody? No kidding. I love his comedy. I will say, just before I say this, I'm going to use an illustration from him. I love him. He's a great guy. His comedy does edge on the raunchier side at times, so just, you know, don't go to YouTube after this and indict me with, with that. Like, hey, that's not your thing. Just give me a heads up. But he has this funny comment. He uh, His commentary is with scary people. He's like, here's how to not be scared of people that are intimidated. You know, people who will yell at you during the day. Here's how I've learned to not be scared of them. They all have to go to bed and sleep at night. It's like at the end of the day, after they've intimidated you and scared you and, and been intimidating, they have to go and lay down, pull a blanket over them, flip the pillow over to get the cool side of the pillow. They have to go to sleep too. He's capturing this idea of like even scary people in life, people who intimidate us, they are human too. They will die as well. God is the one who weighs our souls before him, and in the hands of Christ, it gives us infinite grace. That is nothing that you or I can do for each other. Only God can do that. See, the Pharisees, they had developed political ways to kind of shore their bets, circling the wagons, the good old boys club, that type of way of avoiding the uncomfortable realities of being God's people. And Jesus is inviting us to say, you cannot avoid the suffering of being God's people and the eventual implications of what that will mean. He says here in 6 and 7, uh, he says in 6 and 7, are not, uh, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten by God. You notice the image is they are still sold. Their suffering still happens. But God, the implication is, is with you through the suffering. The path of discipleship is always through suffering. Christianity doesn't say that we avoid death or suffering, but that we have a friend through it. Did you notice here in verse 4, he says, I tell you, my friends. And he ends with, are you not of more value than these animals? It's similar to... Uh, Hebrews 12. We have these verses here. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He walked through suffering despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured for such sinners such hostility against himself, so you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. See, the uncomfortable dynamics of a Christian life, of living with Jesus and being a Christian in a culture that does not honor Jesus, is that you will run into friction points. And those friction points are places that Jesus has already been. And as your friend, he sympathizes and walks through them with you. I mean, isn't that what we want with any great friendship? I mean, I like you guys, but I'm not, if I'm venting my problems, it's generally not for you to solve them. It's to have somebody with me. Isn't that what true friends do for us? 
And Jesus is saying, even as you walk through uncomfortable things, the temptation will be to find little ways that Pharisees to avoid this. Share your bets. Get a crowd on your side. Get the friends with power to work an angle. Jesus saying, or you can see me as your friend and I'm walking with you. Final category, self-awareness. Trusting, learning to trust the Spirit with the complexities. Let me read these. I'm sure this is going to raise some questions. So if you have questions, by the way, you can send Q&A in. Uh, it comes to my phone. Verse 8 to 12. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when, you, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So here's the image. We've gone from the secret moments of the heart to these public moments to the final moment. Right? You see how the development of the leaven has progressed through, this, through the images. Right? This leaven is now fully realized. And the leaven fully realized is you are either confessing God before others and God confessing you, or you are denying God before others and God's denying you. Now, I will say this is in a religious context, right? He is talking about Pharisees to a religious group. He does not have atheists in mind. He has a religious community in mind, which I think frames how we understand then how this passage develops. Right, there are a number of ways and how we can follow God and confess Him. It's complex. I can't tell you what it looks like for you in your particular life to walk in obedience to God. But what I think Jesus is calling us to avoid is ascribing people's genuine obedience to God as being work, the work of Satan himself. I think that's from the previous chapter, where chapter 11 talks about, you know, ascribing demonic power and, and work to the power of God, or the power of God to the demonic powers. Here, Jesus is gaming and saying, no, you can trust that it's going to be a complex array of how people obey and follow God, and you do not need to get in an authority role saying whose work is ascribed to Satan or God. So, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I'm sure you're all thinking, what does that look like? What is that? What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I think in that this context, he's not talking about uh, atheists. He is talking about religious people who ultimately deny God's activity. So, Herman Bavinck, has provided this definition. I'll read it and then I'll reframe it in case it's a little dense for us. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit consists in a conscious and deliberate attribution of what has been clearly perceived as God's work, the influence and activity of Satan. That is, in a deliberate blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, a defiant declaration 
of the Holy Spirit is a spirit from the abyss, and the truth is a lie that Christ is Satan himself. Its motivation, then, is conscious and intentional hatred against, against God and what is recognized as divine. Its essence is sin in its ultimate manifestation, the complete and consummate revolution, putting God in the place of Satan and Satan in the place of God. I think that makes more sense than just saying, like, this is the ultimate denial of Jesus. Because the passage says um, you can wrestle with who Jesus is, and that will be forgiven. But you can't ascribe God's activity to Satan and be forgiven in a religious context. Is what he's talking about. So there's a certain sense where this passage is saying it's okay to wrestle with who Jesus is and what it means to follow him and questions and doubts and concerns, wrestling through that, that's okay. But this resolutely saying in, in an informed way, what you're doing there, um, where God is active, is actually a work of the devil. That's what he's warning against. To me, that means there is a humility that we are invited into in saying, I don't have to have all the answers of why this or that thing happens, why God is in this or that thing, and why this or thing, this or that thing brings glory to Jesus. There's a lot of things that I say. I personally, there's a lot of things that Christians do where I'm just kind of like, yeah, it's not the way I would do things, and that does not make sense to me of how you would honor Jesus in that context. Above my pay grade, man. It's just not my job to manage that. There is a an open-handedness with grace of what it means to follow God. There's an open-handedness of how you see and understand God's activity through others. And that can be confusing. What will I say when the time comes for me to confess before others? How do I do that? What does it look like for me to live a life with Jesus? That's where Jesus is ending at here, right? And when you bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, these complicated moments in the midst of a complicated religious landscape, saying, you can trust the Spirit in the midst of that. He'll be with you. He's going to give you the words. Are you hearing the invitation to rest in me in the midst of life? So that when that day comes, you'll know the voice of the Spirit. I think that's what is going on in this passage. I hope this all makes sense. If it does not, we can ask questions, and we can be confused together. But we're going to turn, uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll turn to Q&A, and then uh, we'll continue to worship the Lord together. Father, as we've attempted to understand these words, I ask that you would help us to grow in self-awareness in the life of Christ. Would you help us to be at rest with him? and to enjoy his goodness towards us. And help us with, with these elements of avoiding and being aware of and being warned by this leaven of the Pharisee material and this stuff that's so prevalent in our own lives. Help us to live in the goodness of Jesus. His name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission.
King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.